passages, one in Proverbs chapter 3 and another in Matthew chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, if you're using the Bible in front of your chairs, that's on page 528. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And the second passage will be in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to, uh, sorry, 24 to 27. Uh, this first passage in Proverbs is, is uh, Proverbs is just a book of wisdom. Um, and now Jesus is going to, in this story, in this parable that he shares in the Sermon on the Mount, going to talk about the wise man and the foolish man. Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Here ends the reading of God's word. Last week we talked about uh, the problem of God's will, uh, the problem of God's will, and we looked at the conventional approach to God's will and why there are so many problems with that. Um, and, and we offered uh, what I think is a more biblical way to understand God's will. Today, what we want to talk about is the greatest obstacle to God's will, uh, and that would be what, what uh, Barry Schwartz in his book calls the paradox of choice. One of the greatest obstacles to discerning God's will is that we have so many choices to choose between. And so Barry Schwartz says this in his book, the fact that some choice is good doesn't necessarily mean that more choice is better. In other words, he's saying, although it's nice to have options, an overload of options leads not to freedom, but to a sense of paralysis. Rather than bringing satisfaction, too many options can bring a sense of of paralysis and disillusionment. And we experience this almost every day of our lives. A practical example of this would be going to the grocery store, right, where you find an overload of options everywhere, right? When I was a kid, it was pretty simple, right? Um, When you were buying bread, you basically had two options, white or wheat. Our family always bought wheat. I mean, sorry, white. (laughs) Uh, We always bought white, Freudian slip there. Um, and and more, more specifically, we always bought Wonder Bread, right? Because <laughs> it, like, it was like marshmallow, right? Wonder Bread is like candy with baked crust around it. And, um, but after I got married, Amy, who, my wife, who's kind of like a health nut, uh, one day says, hey, go to the grocery store and buy some wheat bread, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, I'll go and buy the other kind of bread. Well, when I get there, you know, and this is the paradox of choice, there's an entire aisle of different types of bread. And so finally, I get over to the wheat bread section, and I realize there are like 28 different kinds of wheat bread. 
So, uh, and this is the days before cell phones and all that. And so it's like, okay, well, do I get, uh, there's, there's, what kind of wheat bread? Well, there's 100% whole wheat bread, and then there's whole wheat bread. Uh, doesn't 100% mean, isn't that the same thing as whole? I, I mean, okay, that doesn't make sense. Okay, then, then there's three grain uh, uh, wheat bread. Oh, wait, wait, and now there's seven. Is seven better than three grains? And there's even 12 grain wheat bread. Uh, now there's multi-grain. I mean, how many grains is in multi-grain? Does multi-grain have more than three or five or seven? Right? And, and that experience parallels what we often experience at a broader level when it comes to our lives. And it's not just in the little choices that we make, but it's in the big decisions that we make uh, every so often. Now, the thing we have to understand is this is very unique in our time in history. Most cultures throughout human history never had to choose where they were going to live, what they were going to do, and whom they were going to marry. In most cultures, you lived in the town that you grew up in, or at least nearby. You learned whatever trade your father was in, and you married whomever your parents chose for you. Um, now, now that sounds terrifying, right? If you're, if you're, uh, if you think of your parents trying to choose for you, right? If you're a parent, uh, that that kind of, in a sadistic kind of way, sounds very consoling, right? Uh, but 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 now having options today is nice, right? That we have the freedom to choose where we're going to live, what we're going to do, who we're going to marry, uh, but. With that, with the numerous options that we're confronted with, that, with that comes an intense sense of pressure, a ton of stress, a lot of comparison, and even regret after we've made a decision. And so learning to make decisions is so important because we literally make hundreds, if not thousands of them every single day of our lives. You've already done that today. You woke up this morning and made a decision to get out of bed. Congratulations. <laughs> then you made a decision about what outfit you were going to wear. Then you made a decision about what, what you were going to eat for breakfast. You made a decision to come and gather with a body of Christ this morning. And when you entered the sanctuary, you made a decision about where you were going to sit. And of course, it doesn't end here. After the service, you're going to go from here and make many, many more decisions today. And some of those decisions will be big, major life decisions. What am I going to do with my life? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? And so when I talk to different people, and as I examine the way I make different decisions, uh, we all make decisions in, in very different ways. Some of us make decisions based on our feelings, or, or emotions, or, or kind of what you, like what your gut just tells you. So you, you may be sitting here and going, you know what? I feel like eating like a, a, um, a Reuben sandwich at Zingerman's Deli after church today, right? So th that's, that's what I'm going to do. That, that settles it. That, that just, that's what my gut tells me. And so you make your decision based on your feelings, intuition, or emotions. Other people are driven by maybe a sense of logic or a reason or some sort of calculating analysis, right? And so you say, well, you know, I, I don't know about Zingman's Deli. Uh, I think maybe Hopcat, because that might be a better option. Their grilled chicken wrap, if I forego the crack fries, and if I go running for an hour afterwards, uh, I, I think Hopcat would be a better choice. So some of you are like really analytical and, analytical and logic-driven. 
Others of you make decisions by simply looking for a sign. Right? Okay, God, what should, should we go to Hopcat or should we go to Zingman's Deli? Which one should we do? You walk out of church afterwards and then a cat hops right in front of you and you're like, oh, we should go to Hopcat, right? That's what, we, that's what God wants us to do. You laugh, but you know you've done that too, right? <laughs> now, how, so how do we make decisions when we're faced with so many options in front of us? Well, when it comes to making decisions, we need, to, uh, we need a paradigm shift. We talked a little bit about that last week. We need a paradigm shift, and, and this, is, this is the way I'll summarize this paradigm shift. We need to go from looking to God for answers to looking to God for guidance. In other words, we want God to tell us what to do, but God wants to form us into wise people who learn to make wise decisions. That's what the entire book of Proverbs is about, right? God, want, God, God, God doesn't necessarily want to give us all the answers. He wants, to, he wants us to look to him for guidance. This is very similar to the goal of parenting, if you think about this. It's, it's an analogy. I have two kids, ages 12 and 10, but when they were really, really young, uh, Amy and I, we, we had to make most of their decisions for them. Right, so when they were little, uh, especially my son would come up to me and say, hey, daddy, can we have ice cream for dinner? I'd say, no. Right, I, I gave him an answer. Uh, 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 well, can we go outside and play? Yes. Right, because they were so little and young, we made most of their decisions for them. But the older they get, the more we want them to mature and to grow in wisdom to make some of their own choices. So for example, over the years, we've taught our kids uh, how to be wise stewards of their money. And uh, so they've, they, they've, uh, they, they've learned to try to make decisions on their own. And so my son will come up to me, Daddy, can I get this new Lego set? Well, they, they get their own allowance and all that. What's, well, Micah, how? is it? It's oh, $90, right? How much money do you have? Well, I have $100. Well, what do you think? Is that a good use of your money? Is that something you want? How much do you want it? Have you thought this through, right? And more and more, we want them to make their own decisions. Now, imagine my son goes off to college, and he calls me in the middle of the afternoon and says, hey, dad, some of my friends are going to, to lunch after church. Do you think I should go with them? Uh, there's probably been a breakdown in my parenting somewhere along the way if that happened, right? Instead of helping him to make wise decisions and become a person of wisdom, I've created this unhealthy codependency in our relationship. Now, like all analogies, this is where this analogy begins to break down at a very, very crucial point. Because the goal of parenting is to train up your kids so that they would make independent that they would be independent. But when it comes to our relationship with God, it's the opposite. The more we grow in wisdom and maturity, the more we are to learn to depend on God. We are to come to him, not primarily for answers, but we are to come to him looking for guidance. And that, that means we, we, we know him and we know his heart so well 
that, uh, and his desires and his purposes and his word and his commands, that all of our choices flow out of that source, out of his heart. And so now we, are, we can be confident in making wise decisions uh, every single day, whether big or small. Right? One way that this is fleshed out even in my own life is when we made the decision to move to Ann Arbor over 10 years ago. At the time, uh, I was working in a church in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and, um, and an opportunity came to, to move to Ann Arbor, and I, I visited the area a, a number of times, talked to the people here, uh, um, and all that kind of stuff. My wife joined me on one of the visits, and I remember going through a period of praying and discerning God's will. Is this what you want us to do, God? Are you calling us to move from Philadelphia to go to Ann Arbor and to, um, you know, to do ministry there? Now, even during a time of prayer and fasting and receiving counsel from other people, I remember not receiving a definitive answer. There was no sense of strong direction or guidance. And I remember feeling really frustrated with God. Like, God, why, why aren't you giving me an answer? It's not like this is a small decision. This is a pretty large decision here. Uh, I'm going to be asking my entire, my family, my wife and my one-year-old daughter at the point, to, to uproot uh, from our place in Philadelphia. And it was larger because my wife has four generations of family uh, on both sides of her parents that live there. So it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, we're going to move. I mean, th this would have been the first place that my wife lived outside uh, of the Philadelphia area. And I remember during, during a period of just real frustration and impatience, just like, God, just tell us. Tell, just If this is what you want us to do, we'll do it. And I remember uh, very distinctly during, during a time of prayer and meditation, uh, uh, just, just a, a piece that came over. And I remember going to Amy and I remember she would even say after a visit, a couple of visits to Ann Arbor, she'd be like, so what do you think? I mean, does that seem like a place that would really fit us? Like, what do you think? And I literally told her, I don't know. I, I just don't know. But after that time of prayer and meditation, I remember coming and saying to Amy, you know what? I think what God is telling us is it's up to us that we can simply choose. And she's like, really? What does that mean? Uh, and I said, you, you know, and just to use another analogy, it's, and again, the magnitude is, not the, is very different, but the principle is the same. Imagine my kids coming up to me this weekend and saying, hey, Daddy, uh, this weekend, should, should we play Settlers of Catan or should we go outside and play in the snow? And, and for me, as their dad, being ages 10 and 12, I'm kind of like, you know, kids, it doesn't matter. It's up to you. You choose. Because I don't care as much about what you do unless it's destructive to you or to other people or unless it's like in direct disobedience to my command. I, it's, I don't care. I, I care less about what you do. I am more concerned about who you're becoming. So if you think my will is for you to play Settlers of Catan, I mean, if you get into a terrible fight with each other, I mean, that, that, is, not, that is not the kind of people I want you to become. Now, you may ask at this point, well, does that mean you are called to Ann Arbor? Well, and, and the answer is, well, I mean, it's very nuanced, yes and no. I mean, yes, 
in the sense that we went through a process of prayer and discernment and, and uh, with others receiving counsel, but no in the sense of did I receive like a definitive answer, a voice from heaven saying, go to Ann Arbor. No. And you may think, well, does that mean God doesn't have a plan for my life? No, he does have a plan for your life. In fact, I know his plan for your life. I know God's will for your life. Do you know how I know it? He told me. He told me his will. And he tells it to us in his word. Two examples. First Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means that it is God's will that sin would loosen its grip on you and you would become more and more holy every day of your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So God's will for you is to be thankful uh, no matter what you're going through because you know that God is for you and he is with you. And so, and that doesn't mean just because you're going through hard times that, that that isn't necessarily God's will, right? And you may think, okay, 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 I, I get that. You know, God has a plan for my life. It's in, in, in God's word. But how about the future? I mean, you make it seem like God doesn't have all this stuff figured out. No, no. I mean, does God have a plan for my future? Yes. He knows your future. We don't. And the best way for us to live into that future is not to guess about what's going to come, what's around the corner for tomorrow, but to be faithful in making wise decisions today. And so before we move on, I want to make a couple disclaimers because as we talk a lot about wisdom, about being wise people and making wise choices, and the incredible freedom that we have, I think in some ways that, that can sound pretty terrifying for some people. So a couple of disclaimers. I want to be very clear and upfront about this. I believe that God does call us and God does speak to us and lead us in miraculous and supernatural ways. We see that throughout scripture and I've experienced that as well as many of you have in this congregation. Um, but let me say this. Uh, when we talk about God calling us, the danger in using that language oftentimes is people use the idea of God's calling as an excuse to forego any process of wisdom and discernment uh, in decision making. The danger is that we can use calling as a way to spiritualize, as a way to mask or hide frustrations that are beneath the surface that we just don't want to deal with. And so if you've ever had somebody break up with you and say, well, I just don't feel called to this relationship anymore. You know, you know, you've experienced this and you know what I'm talking about. And that's pro that probably means that if he's done that, that he doesn't have the courage to say what he really thinks or to admit what's really going on or to go through the trouble of explaining why, why he wants to end the relationship. So instead, he says, no, 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 everything's fine. It's not you. I just don't feel called to this relationship anymore. So hear this loud and clear. I think one thing that we can understand is a sense of calling should always be followed by a process of discernment. Right? The sense that God is calling you to do something is not an excuse to not go through a process of discernment, but rather it is a starting point to begin that process. So, yes, God does call, 
but he gives us wisdom and he guides us through his Holy Spirit. The other thing I'll say is that, in, in saying that we are to become wise people who, who make wise decisions, I'm not pitting uh, making wise decisions against the leading of the Holy Spirit. Right, that's disclaimer number two. The last thing I want you to hear is to, to think like, oh, you're just saying because God wants to form us into wise people who make wise decisions. Where does the Holy Spirit play into this? He plays right into this. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about how wisdom is actually, actually comes from the Holy Spirit. So in other words, God's Spirit leads us and guides us, not in spite of wisdom, but through it. It's a both and, it's not an either or here. And so God leads us through his Holy Spirit. Um, and so now, let me make two, 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 uh, th- two uh, uh, areas of how God guides us to make wise decisions, right? I think he uses a number of things, two things that I'll point out. When we're confronted with a, a plethora of options, how do we make wise decisions? God guides us to make wise decisions, first and foremost, by forming the right character. Right? Making good choices isn't some sort of divine formula that we have to figure out, but rather God guides us by cultivating the right character in us so that we become the kind of people that will make wise decisions. And so the decisions we make actually flow out of our character, flow out of who we are. Right? Uh, I, I can certainly look back at times in my life um, when I made decisions based on my pride. I didn't know it at the time, but it was my pride that was driving and shaping my decision. And so my character, you could see, was a platform that shaped my decision at that point. There have been other times when I, I can look back and I've made decisions based on selfish ambition or even out of a place of insecurity. Again, maybe not knowing it, but my character, again, was shaping the decision that I made. And so God establishes the right priorities in our hearts by forming the right character in us. And oftentimes, the way that happens, and this is a whole other sermon in itself, how does God form right character in me? It's oftentimes through hardships and challenges and troubles. Right? And so maybe that's what God is doing in you. Is he's making you into a wise person. Some of you are facing circumstances right now. Why is this happening? God is interested in who you are becoming. He's making you into the person uh, that he wants you to be, having the right character to make right decisions. And, and, the, and the issue with growing in character is it's not like climbing a ladder, right? It, it, it's more like a river carving out a canyon. It takes time. It's slow and gradual. And that means faithfulness and persistence is needed. But God guides us to make wise decisions by forming the right character in us. And secondly, God guides us to make wise decisions by providing the right community around us. Far too often, I find that people make big decisions in isolation. Right? It's like maybe you've had this experience and maybe not this particular one, but maybe a friend comes to you and says, hey, we're getting married. And you're like, hey, I didn't even know you had a girlfriend. Right? So many times we can make decisions in isolation Right? Or, and then what people do is you present your decision in this nicely wrapped package with a bow on top, right? Hey, we're moving. And you're like, what? I didn't even know you were thinking about that. 
Proverbs has a lot to say about this. Proverbs chapter 12. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Right? We all have blind spots that we don't see, and there are parts of the decisions that we, we are just inexperienced about, so we need to listen to others. And the book of Proverbs constantly references our need for counsel. It says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Note there, advisors is in the plural, right? And that means that, that you're not just going to have one person that you're going to go to who's going to be like your Mr. Miyagi or something. I just realized that most of you are like Mr. Who, right? Uh, if you've not seen that. Anyways, okay. Uh, um, or, or your Yoda. Is that outdated too? I don't know. I've, anyways, what, but you need many advisors because you're going to make a whole bunch of different decisions. It will probably lead you to whole different kinds of people who, who will give you counsel, right? And that means you need to take initiative and seek those people out. So often, so often young people will say, come to me and they're kind of waiting passively and they'll kind of whine and complain. Well, nobody's speaking into my life. I I don't know what to do. I don't have wise counsel. Nobody's here to help me. Good, seek it out. Take initiative, right? And remember, counsel in and of itself isn't the solution. You need wise counsel. Some of you have friends and dare I say even parents who give you horrible counsel. Okay, so seek godly counsel. Surround yourself with wise counsel. And that means finding people. This is another thing that I often see. Oftentimes, you have a decision made already in your mind, and you want to go to people and ask their counsel, knowing that they will only affirm all the decisions that you've already made. Yes, yes, you know, Sung, everything you say is great. That's exactly what God wants you to do. How often do you, do you, are you trying to weigh a decision? Do you have people in your life that will actually speak truth to you? That will really challenge you and correct you and say, son, you know what? What's really driving this, this decision? Is it God? Are you placing him first? Or is it your selfish ambition? So you need people like that around you, godly counsel. And so the suggestion here is this, is to draw people into the process of making a decision rather than merely presenting them with a final product, right? And so God guides us through the, through the right character and providing the right community around us. And, and, and that, now that doesn't simplify the choices that we have to make, right? We are still faced like with an entire aisle of wheat bread, right? That's why somebody told me after first service, yeah, that song, that's why we shop at Aldi, right? There are no choices there. <laughs> but the reality of our lives is, man, just one of the greatest obstacles is like, man, I have so many choices. And so those, those are two handles for us to walk in wisdom, Let me just close with this. Uh, The passage we read in the beginning, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, look, he compares the wise man and the foolish man. And he says the difference between the wise man and the foolish man is not in who hears from God because they both hear from God. But the wise man is the person who builds his house, his life on a solid foundation. In other words, Jesus is saying that some decisions that you make are more foundational than others. Some decisions that you make won't affect the other decisions that you have to make. But a few decisions that you make will affect and shape every other decision that you have to make in life. 
And Jesus is teaching us that you have to start with that foundational decision. If you want to be a wise person, you have to build on the right foundation. So you've got to get the biggest and largest decision nailed down, and that will shape every other decision in your life. And and, and the very foundational uh, decision that Jesus calls us to is also summarized in in Proverbs that we read, um, 5 and 6. That's not the right scripture reference. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that we read. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And so the decision, the biggest decision, the most important foundational decision you need to make is this. Are you trusting in the Lord? Or are you leaning on your own understanding? Are you trusting in, in, in the gospel that his life, death, death, and resurrection gives you a sense of freedom from sin and now you can walk in confidence as his child? Are, are, you, are you submitting in all your ways to him? Or are you still driven by pride and selfish ambition and greed and, and all these other things? This is the most foundational decision and, and if you make the right decision here, again, you can be confident that everything else that is built on this foundation will be the will of God. And so that is our challenge for us today, making, making sure we get this, right, this, this biggest foundational decision right in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Would you uh, bow your heads and join me in prayer? And so God, we want to trust our lives to you. We want to let go of our sense of control and we want to trust in you And just like we sang in the song earlier, even though there's waves and winds that are blowing around us, even though our circumstances are hard, we can be confident that you are in control, that you know the future, and that you hold us in your hands. And so, God, we ask that you would be our rock, you would be our anchor, the anchor for our souls that will never move, that will never be shaken. We want to build our, the foundation of our lives on you, the solid rock. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.